bel come tu delle neurosi Dun, dun. Welcome into Weekly Neurosis, I'm Nate I'm Ethan And this is the game episode mm. And uh, this week for game We did the uh, movie Ouija Origin of Evil Which is based on a Hasbro is, game On a Hasbro game Which is weird That you talk to the dead, apparently I always, It's so funny that it's based on a game It's like they've, people have made these Ouija boards out to be these dark, terrifying things But it's just some dumb board game They're like some guy some guy at Hasbro was like, bro, let's try it out. <laughs> and now it's a, it, I'm sure millions of them have been sold. Oh, yeah. Easily. Um, then our album of the week was Griffin, Red Queen to the Griffin, or to Griffin 3 from 1974. Mm-hmm. A concept album based on the game of chess. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Which is Again. why I picked it. A game. And then our beer of the week is from Tallgrass Brewing Company. That's the one you tell and us it's about it. Eight bit, eight bit pale ale. Should I just read off of the can? Sure, do whatever you need to do. I'll open up and pour here. According to the Surgeon General, no, I'm just I'll look it up. Hold on. What? I didn't have it up yet. You dummy. How would I talk about it? You talk about it. Okay, you so yeah, this is an guys. American pale ale from Tallgrass Brewing Company out of Kansas, United States. More specifically, Manhattan, Kansas. Um, great brewery. Makes a lot of great beer. They're kind of. One of those breweries that cans their beers versus bottling it, which is sort of a newer thing that's taken off. But uh, this, to me, is like a great go-to pale ale. Um, It's actually maybe my favorite pale ale ever, just because I like the concept of the can. It's good beer. Um, You you know, it's a good session beer. It's about 5.2% alcohol by volume. Uh, It's just, it's awesome. And Tallgrass makes a lot of really great beers. And this is sort of... Some would say their flagship, although I would argue that maybe Velvet Rooster is. I don't know. Yeah, I'd, 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 I'd agree with you there. I think 8-Bit's very recognizable because of the can. Because a lot of people, it looks like Pac-Man right. on the can, so people identify that. But they're, all their cans are pretty unique. Right. They're all very colorful and vibrant. Which I think all beers should should do that. Mm-hmm. I know like, like brews like Founders are kind of the, they usually do like these kind of very matte green kind of boring ish maybe with pictures but i think if you're gonna make a make a beard have a badass can one brewery that always sticks out to me in terms of their uh artwork is flying dog who has really crazy like characters on it that are all very um they're like hand-drawn but they're very crazy and chaotic 
Do they do like is that the one that makes Raging Bitch? I think so. Cuz yeah, those are like Yeah, it's crazy. Create like 300 type like there, that logo. There's like lines everywhere and yeah. and the characters have like crazy bug eyes and stuff and it's all very outside of the lines and very intense. And lately there's been a kind of a a, a string of um like newer breweries like I know Renegade Brewing and a lot of them that can specifically. Mhm. And the like cans are just... Tall Grass Brewing Company. I like these guys. They have crazy cans. Surly brews a lot, too. And yeah, and they have... Their their cans are nuts, too. But I think, yeah, you gotta, gotta stand out, you know? Mm-hmm. You're dealing with retail space here. But in terms something. of the beer itself, this is pretty straightforward pale yeah. ale. Which is sort of, <clears throat> you know, the same concept of an IPA that it's more of a hoppy beer, but it's significantly less hoppy than an IPA. And it's gonna be more of a malt... Yeah, and this one's this is pretty pretty easily approachable. Oh yeah, you know I think Mm -hmm. this would be a good one to start if if you're doing like a session Mm -hmm. with a little tiny glass. I think this would be a good one. You could take five or six of these down and be able to no problem make it make it. You and me could do like ten. Make it back to work before lunchtime is over. Oh yeah, easy standing (laughs) up, no problem. Don't do that. Don't do that. Please don't. Uh, But that's our yeah. It's good stuff. I like it. Mm. Tastes clean. Yeah, balanced. Although I got to be honest, I don't care for their beer, Buffalo Sweat. It's a stout. It's an oatmeal stout. Yeah, I just think it has kind of an off, like a diet flavor to it. It's weird. Yeah, I don't know. I've tried it a couple of times because people really like it, but it's just not my favorite. Some guy out there's like Buffalo Sweat's the best. He's never gonna listen to us again. Never ever this again. doesn't like the greatest beer ever. He's just ever sitting made. on a throne of empty Buffalo Sweat cans <laughs> that he's super glued together. Yeah, <laughs> this thing will support itself. <laughs> No, anyhow, so again, our theme this week is game, so let's go over the definition now. Game is a noun and a verb. Uh, the noun is a... And f- an adjective. And an adjective. Oh, I didn't see that tucked in there. Yeah, And geez. an adjective. It's everything. Uh, but anyhow, for the noun, it's a form of, of play or sport, especially a competitive one played according to the rules and decided by skill, strength, or luck. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and is also a type of activity or business, especially when regarded as a game. That's weird. That's Which a weird is, definition. It's a really weird definition. I hate it when words use the word in their own definition. That's true. Doesn't that sort of defeat the purpose of a definition? They need to knock that off. Some bitch. So then for an adjective, it's eager and willing to do something new or challenging, as in I'm game. Um, and as a verb, play games, again, game in the definition, of chance for money. Um, the other one is manipulate a situation typically in a way that is unfair or unscrupulous. I love the word unscrupulous. That's a good word. That's a great word. So, Ethan, what does game mean to you? Uh, well, game, I mean, it's one of those words where I think if I was younger, I would be talking about video games, but I don't really play video games at all anymore. I just kind of lost interest in it. But uh, So I guess when I think of games, I mainly think of board games. It's the first thing that comes to my mind, uh... I like board games, I like card games, I like, you know, Cards Against Humanity, it's fun to play with people, or just kind of, you know, trivia, anything like that I'm into, but I guess uh, looking at the word game overall, it is kind of an interesting word to look at in terms of how how, how widely it can be used, in terms of it being also a, an adjective, which is maybe not its most common use, but it certainly can be used that way, so... Mm-hmm. Mainly, though, I think of games, probably, you know, Monopoly, which is my probably oh, my man. favorite. Love Monopoly, old school, or any of the thousands of varieties of it. We have Beatles Monopoly at home, which I'm a big fan of. They have, like, a, a Monopoly for everything. Yeah, it's crazy. It's amazing. There, There's a Star Wars Monopoly I grew up playing. I'm sure there's many variations of that form now, but games, man. Games, bro. Like games. What does games mean to you? 
Well, I did. I'm doing this new thing now where I like write down the first three words I think of, Ooh. and I did sports, gambling, and video games were the first things that I thought of for some reason. Why didn't I think of sports? Well, that's like what it, it like you think about, it, and yeah. and that's what I kind of reflected on is how like monstrous sports is in our culture. It's almost insane. Mm-hmm. Like it's to a point now where people their lives are good or bad, whether or not their team is winning or losing. Well, yeah, right now the World Series is going on, and my father is a massive Indians Big fan, and time. I, I, I can't imagine the stress he's in. And you know, you we know what it feels like when our favorite teams have a lot at stake. Yeah. Oh, totally. It's like life crushing when they lose. Yeah, and and just I, I think of my history as a sports fan. You know, when you lose, it's like totally devastating. When you win, it's awesome. Super Bowl two thousand eleven. Oh yeah. Packers. Oh yeah. One of the greatest nights of both of our lives, I think. Oh yeah. I just said, oh, yeah, like seven times. I don't think there's anything more like Wisconsinite. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What is it? Were you talking about Fargo again? Fargo. <laughs> no, but and the other piece of it that I, I always think of is the, the quote, quit playing games with me. Quit playing like, games. Quit, quit playing mom. games or something. It's like such a negative. Like if uh, you're yeah. like trying to pull a trick on someone or you can be games can be kind of shifty, kind of dark. Yeah. When you think about it, like, and not to bring up a total negative, but like Enron and stuff, like they're playing games. They're making stuff up and playing a little game. Or like in the romantic world when people say they're playing games with each other, like, yeah. There's even a book called The Game, which many people would argue is a very, very chauvinistic and offensive work about how to get with women. Yeah. But uh, I mean, that just shows you how negative the word can be as well. Yeah. And I actually grew up. in my grandparents' house, there was a book that I constantly read called The Games That Children Will Play. And it was all, it was written in like the 1940s or 50s. And it was all about like how to get children to stop playing games and become like serious people. Hmm. And it was really interesting. And I actually read it as an adult and it's like totally messed up. But hmm. I think games are just something you play when you're a kid. Well, think about war games. Yeah. Nations play with each other to simulate what war would be like and what strategies they could take and stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's something that's going on all the time at a level much higher than most of us are at. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's a very, very interesting <clears throat> concept to, um, to think about. For sure. For sure. So on to our, our high-priority news item this week, uh, 24, the TV show. Mm. What's the character's name? Jack Bauer. Jack Bauer. Mm. Um, my family. Yeah, Leave them alone. <laughs> the um, uh, Legacy is what it's called. The trailer was released. It's a spinoff of the popular series, uh, the show 24, and it's going to be coming out next year. And and we'll talk about this. So good idea or little too late? I don't know. Like, I, I think it's kind of, it's one of those things where, you know, if anybody doesn't know, the show 24 was based on the concept of each episode was real time. And the seasons were 24 episodes apiece, and each episode was a real-time hour. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, And I guess that concept is sort of universal, and I guess it's not entirely unique because a lot of movies have been in real time and and other shows and stuff as well. But um, with this, i got to be honest, the trailer to me just sort of looks kind of generic, and quite honestly, I feel that they brought 24 back, I think it was last year or the year before. 2014, so two years ago. There you go, right. uh, They brought it back with... Kiefer Sullivan as Jack Bauer, and it did fairly well, but I just feel like, I don't know, I just don't feel like this is going to like reinvigorate the series or anything. No, and I, I was kind of confused when I 
read this in the script because then I obviously watched the trailer and I was like, how many more times are they going to bring this back? Yeah, and it's like not the it's same. Like, it's not the same characters or yeah. anything either. We didn't even mention that. But like, like it's they, not Jack Bauer. It's someone else. And it's like, why can't you, as Fox, come up with a different concept? Like, it's I get that it was a a totally unique thing when it first came out, but now it's it's kind of like overkill because you bring it back in 2014, now you bring it back in 2016. And I, yeah, I, I agree with you because my thing is the only the reason this is going to bring in most viewers is because its name is 24. Mm-hmm. You can take that same concept and go off in any direction in it, but when you say 24, people are going to be expecting something very specific. Yeah. And it doesn't look terrible or anything. I just feel like, uh, does it really look like something that, you know, 24 at the time was super exciting and new and, you know, it was, uh, but that, that ship is sort of sailed and yeah. people can go back and watch 24 if they want. Well, and yeah, and I think, I mean, when the original 24 came out, I think Kiefer Sutherland had a lot to do with the success of that show because mm-hmm. of the time and place. And it, I don't mean to call it a specific generation here, but like Viagra, that whole thing, like machismo, that kind whole of an older thing gen- was going on. And it was... The father-figured hero. Yeah. I mean, that's become a real trope in the last couple yeah. of decades, I and, think. And he kind of blazed that trail. And, you know, I, I just think that a lot of the success was based off of that character can they recreate it and rewrite it to be successful? Sure, but I, I don't know. Well, and, and going off that, too, this character isn't... I mean, he's a younger guy. Yeah. I mean, that's not like he's not... Uh, he might be a father. I don't really recall seeing that in the trailer, but well, part of the deal in 24 was his daughter's like 17 or 18, his wife. I mean, they've... It, it, it was just... um Yeah, it was a kind of a unique hero where a lot of times in action series and stuff, they're like the young guys straight off, straight on the force or something, but Jack Bauer was already a very well-established character within the world he was in. Yeah, and he's kind of, like, used up, you know, in a little, kind of in a way, Says too. you. Says me. He killed until, a lot of terrorists, yeah, killed bro. a whole bunch of terrorists. But, no, I think, because if you look at the ratings, and I, I just kind of checked them out very briefly, um, in 2014, they tested really well with the 18 to 49 demographic. Okay. And that's, like, their thing. I'm guessing they're going to need to target that same. And that's the thing. I don't think they're going to get that. 30 to 49 or whatever it is. Everybody's watching Kiefer Sullivan's new show, Designated Survivor. Yeah. Which I've been watching. And you can listen to his albums as well because he's a musical recording artist. Huh. He's also the voice of a villain in a movie called Phone Booth with Colin Farrell. Yeah. Colin Farrell's a badass. I just want to watch True Detective Season 2. Yeah. Get drunk and punch somebody. You can't anymore. Or it's... Well, you can go back and watch Season 1 and 2. Oh. Ugh kids these days and their drugs and their drugs but that's our, our high priority news items we'll see how it does i mean yeah i'm probably not gonna watch it <laughs> i don't think i will either but we'll we'll see how it goes so when we come back um for our game episode we're gonna do our movie of the week ouija origin of evil in the break you're gonna hear the audio from that trailer okay Let's be honest. We've seen this trailer a thousand times. Yes. It's a lot of creepy violin sounds. Yeah. Somebody talking fragmented with child Child voice. A child's voice. And screaming. Yeah. Yeah. Typical horror movie business. But is it? We'll see. In Movie of the Week, when we come back, you can find out. Is it typical horror movie stuff? Or is, it a, or is it a Blumhouse production? 10 out of 10. Please sponsor That us. was our review, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. That was our review. It's going to be like a 30-minute episode. All right, we can notice we will be right back. Let's begin. We invite you into our circle. If that's you, give us a sign. 
This is a scam. We do not attack the clients. We help people. We give them closure. You are so weird. Does she have a lot of problems? There's nothing too concerning. What's this? A Ouija board for work. Spirit, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Who are you talking to? What? Daddy. Are you there? Who are you? Your sister's taking you to school today. I don't want to go! I want to stay here and talk to my friends. What friends? I'll show you. Are you here? All right, welcome back into Weekly Neurosis. Once again, I am Nate. I am Ethan. And now it's time for Movie of the Week. You ready? I am ready. All right, well, this this week on our game episode, uh, we did the movie Ouija, Origins of Evil. So the plot is that in 1967, Los Angeles, a widowed mother, Alice Zander, unwittingly invites authentic evil into her home. That sounds great. By adding a new stunt to bolster her se- seance scam business. Uh, when the merciless spirit overtakes her youngest daughter, Doris, the small family must confront unthinkable fears and save her, um, save her possessor, or wait, send, save and send her possessor back to the other side. Uh, the cast is Annalise Basso, Elizabeth Razor, Reeser, Reeser, Razor, Razor, uh, Lulu Anderson, Henry Thomas, Parker Mack, and Doug Jones. The crew uh, is directed by Mike Flanagan. Written by Mike Flanagan and Jeff Howard. Jeff it's Howard. That's just one name. My oh, bad. Jeff. <laughs> I put a comma between Jeff. So and some guy named Jeff and some guy named Howard. No, uh, <laughs> Jeff Howard, edited by Mike Flanagan and music done by the Newton Brothers. Uh, the filming location. Filming was done completely in Los Angeles, California. And the notes. This is the third uh, movie in 2016 to be released that was directed by Mike Flanagan. The other two he directed were Hush and Before I Wake. Both great films. So, Ethan, what did you think about this movie? Well, I really liked this movie a whole lot. And, um, you know, if you would have asked me like three or four months ago if I would have even remotely have liked this, I would have I would have probably laughed at your face because the first this is a prequel um, t- to the movie that came out either last year or the year before, just Ouija. And that movie was horrible. It yeah. wasn't just bad. It was straight up garbage. It's terrible. Just another tweeny crap PG-13 terrible it's just a bad movie so when i saw trailers for this i think my expectations were slightly tampered because the original was so bad i thought why even make anything else related to this and it really wasn't until i saw that mike flanagan was the director of this that i kind of thought well maybe this would be different and then when i saw the, the rotten tomato score and this was like 81 percent, my jaw just about dropped um and i gotta say this is i don't think i can't think of a, another a better turnaround and like honestly in movie history where it's like the first movie was so bad and the sequel was so good i can't think of another situation that was such a dramatic 180 because this isn't just like a solid movie i think this is a super well-made movie um and i think a lot of it has to do with its setting which is you know in the 1960s and how the movie sort of roots itself in the very old school horror sentiment or uh, uh, style like the old school Universal is at the beginning, which instantly sort of raised my eyebrows. And then the title card for the movie was, you know, that 1960s, 1970s thing where it sort of freeze frames and there's the, you know, the the, the 2D 
frame around the screen right. that has the name of the movie <laughs> and stuff. And then, of course, there was the burn mark in the top right corner, like the reel was changing in it. Yeah, so it was just crazy. Yeah, just things like that sort of gave it the feeling. And outside of a couple of moments, which we can talk about later, that sort of felt significantly more modern. I couldn't believe how well made this movie was. I mean, the acting is fantastic. It focuses on the characters up to a point. Um, it's it's suspenseful. It takes its time telling its story without being too ridiculous. Like we all often complain about the info dump scene in horror movies, which this sort of has, but it felt deserved. And just overall, it was it was it was intense. It doesn't focus too much on jump scares. I was totally blown away by by how good this movie was. Not like the best movie ever made or anything, but I mean, I again, I can't think of another dramatic 180 like this where the first movie was so terrible and the second one was so good right i think they kind of need to remake the second one then i would or the first one or the first one or oh it's a prequel this is very difficult uh but no i mean i agree with you on the surface it appears to be like this very simple well the demon overtakes the kid and it's a home invasion deal but yeah it just it kind of it grew and grew and grew but i think what really like bases this whole movie is the fact that it's so authentic like they took the concept of the 1960s and they just ran with it like down to the very like everything down to the like you said the the little burn marks in the corner right and and the cars and the way you feel when you're driving in one of those cars and and just everything it was was incredible right it's it's just unusual to see a movie like this especially it is pg-13 and i guess i don't I don't anticipate these movies to be so patient, and maybe that's my own fault. But again, with with this particular movie, my expectations were not very high, so maybe that's one of the reasons it took me off guard. But I digress, because I do think that um, from a pretty hard stance, this is a well-made movie. Yeah. It's just, it's it's got that soft 1960s look to it. The acting is fantastic. I really got to shout out the, the little girl in this movie, played by uh, Lulu Wilson, Straight up, she's up there with her performance was fantastic, and it really is. It's sort of a gamble to put so much weight on a young actress. She nailed it. She was fantastic in this movie. She really carries it. She, her character is right up there to me with like Regan from The Exorcist and um, Damien from The Omen. You get that creepy kid who has this sort of sinister thing going on with her, and she really carried it. But what, well, one of the other things I think that made this movie work for me so well is that the movie. I guess first and foremost focuses on this family, puts you into their shoes. You see their situation they're going through, not having a lot of money, sort of some of the uh, you know different things going on with them. How their their father and the 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 husband of the mother had passed away, and how that's impacted them. And they focus on that, and then they lead into the better stuff, which gives this movie some dramatic weight too. And that coupled with good performances really makes it believable. So when things really do start to go crazy, you don't feel great about it. This isn't the kind of movie where when people are dying and things are going bad that you're kind of like, whatever. Like the first one was. <laughs> this this one actually, um, you know, made me care. And uh, I think a lot of it had to do with just how well how, how well made it was, for the yeah. most part. Well, and I was kind of surprised, too, by the amount of humor. Like, it's, it's, it's kind of interjected, but there's, like, little pieces, and it's totally horror-based, mm-hmm. which is great. There's one scene that's by no means, like, a spoiler, but they, like, show the girl just, like, sitting there, like... In her little, like, I don't want to say zombie face, but, like, demon face. Uh-huh. And she's just sitting there, and it's humorous. It's okay. funny, because she's just sitting there, and 
Right. And they, they just like interject that periodically, but then there's little jokes here and there. I thought that was kind right. of I positive. Too. They kind of, right off the bat in this movie, kind of play with the concept of jump scares, which so many of these PG-13 horror movies really, really focus on. And while there are those jump scares in this movie, it is by no means uh, completely focused on them because right away at the beginning, there's a big jump scare that's played for laughs mm-hmm. that involves a bunch of kids kind of just screwing around, playing with the Ouija board, and then the mother comes in and one girl is particularly scared and starts screaming. And the whole theater I was in was laughing at, at that scene. It was kind of played up and it was a good way to sort of release the tension before this movie really shows you what it does, which is be surprisingly subtle, where if we're talking about the horror elements in this movie, it's really shocking with sort of how subtle it was in that respect and that it's not throwing stuff at you and playing loud music every four seconds to jump you out of your seat. There's stuff in the background that'll show up and it's just there. And if you see it, you see it. And if you don't see it, well, maybe you'll see it again. And even one of the things I first noticed in the movie, I asked if you saw it and you said you did. I did not. Yeah. And if you ever watch this movie again, I, you know, really pay attention to the background because most other movies, if there's a suspenseful scene and then you see something in the background, there'll be a loud played and you'll jump. And even though the character didn't see it themselves in this movie, no, no. It's just there. Mm-hmm. And even when it does uh, very quickly cut to some of the, the scarier things, and I do think um, some of the special effects that they pull off around the little girl near the end of the movie were very effective um, for the most part. Um, I don't know. I was just surprised with kind of how thoughtful and well-paced it was uh, in terms of horror. Yeah. Um, because I do. my biggest complaint with the movie is, A, it does... I felt like it dragged for maybe a five or ten minute period in the middle of the movie before the final act. And also there's one scene that involves a lot of CGI that felt totally out of place. Really bad. Right, because like we both said, this movie is so like realistic looking and they just did a great job of making it feel like a, a period piece movie set in the 60s. Then there's just one scene that I think you'd mentioned that you think they cut it down quite a bit because it just did not, it just totally clashed with the rest with of the everything. movie. With everything. And yeah, it, it feels just that it, the lead up to that point, it feels so obtrusive. Like all of a sudden there's just, a, a, you know, and I don't want to ruin anything, but there's just a CGI character, very crisp, no yeah, less. It's just right there. <laughs> and I don't know. And plus the the bad the bad guy, the demon, it, I don't I don't think he was that like threatening. Like it just, it didn't. Like how it looked? Yeah, how it looked. And, oh, I was going to say, because I think by the end of the movie, when you start to figure out what's going on, I was really like, I mean, it's nothing we've never seen before with with sort of the secrets of the house and the haunting and who this demon is and stuff. I thought that stuff was really effective. And there's this kind of creepy moment where one of the daughters says something like they've been watching us the whole time. And it just sort of, it just sort of frames everything we've seen up to that point a little bit differently. And that's why I, I just thought it was really effective in that way. In that, And again, like Lights Out, which was, I got to say, I think I've said it before, this year the horror movies have really shown up to bat because this is at least two PG-13 horror movies we've seen this year that I think we both agree are pretty good. The last one was Lights Out. And kind of like Lights Out, no spoilers, this movie does not aim for the happy ever after ending. By no means. No, and I think I I was almost tricked into thinking, man, I want to watch that original one again because of how it ends. But I'm not going to fall into that trap because it was the original one is so terrible. Um, I don't know. This was just a, a really big, a really big surprise. I couldn't believe, and I think we have to give credit to the director Mike Flanagan here, who has proved with Oculus and Hush, which we had previously reviewed on on the podcast, that he's a he's a more than competent director. And I think the studio 
saw that their original film was a piece of crap and so called in somebody who knew what they were doing and turned the franchise around in the biggest way you can possibly imagine. Yeah. And like, I mean, that's, and we've talked about, you know, prequels and number, you know, the second movie. And this, like you said, is a total turnaround from what I can understand to go from a nine to an 80 on Rotten Tomatoes is pretty... I don't know if anyone's ever done that before. Well, that's I, what I don't know the, the yeah, stats. Yeah, I think the original one has a nine on Rotten Tomatoes. And again, you can trust or not trust Rotten Tomatoes. I think it can be an okay place to sort of test the waters. But the original deserves a nine. It's terrible. And this one has like an 80 or an 81%. I couldn't believe it when I first saw it, which is why I was so interested to, to see it. But um, even though despite that going into this, I was like, there's no way this is any good because the first one was that bad. Yeah. But, I mean, they, they did everything right in terms of the acting. The the film played itself out the correct way. There were some, you know, negatives there, but, right. yeah. Entertaining. This is an entertaining film. You know, and I had a really good feeling about halfway through this movie because, I'll be honest, I was probably the oldest one in the theater, and I'm only 26. <laughs> I mean, the theater was full of, like, 14-year-olds, and that's fine. But I kind of had a good thought during this movie that this would this is, like, the kind of movie that one person in this audience who's never really taken horror seriously before, this is going to be like their gateway movie. Like this movie was well enough made where they're going to do some research, see what movies influence this. They're going to go see a movie like The Exorcist. They're going to dig up something like Rosemary's Baby. They're going to dig up those classics that obviously had an influence in, on this. And and this to me, this to me seemed like a movie that can be a very positive gateway into horror because it's super well made. It's well acted. It's one of the rare horror movies that, while horror movies get a really bad rap for not being very good, this is one where I would argue with with anybody who's a, who's like a fear, serious film critic. I would argue that this is, I think, in a in a sort of objective way, a super well made movie. I that's just my two cents. Yeah, no, I agree, and and it was very. I think it was pretty approachable, and oh yeah, not mm-hmm. too gory. But what would you rate this one to ten? Well, I'm gonna give it an eight out of ten. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Again, I have you know really surprised. I'm excited to see it again. I'll definitely be buying this. I mean, I, I really think horror has been pretty solid this year and, and this movie just really surprised me it was just just a super classy intense little horror movie that was well well made outside of a couple of kind of goofy moments that didn't work <laughs> um I, I thought it was solid so what about, what about you i'm gonna give it a 7.5 okay so no weird deductions this time but yeah same same thing i just i just liked this movie i liked how approachable it was i liked how entertaining it was i think i think almost anyone could watch this film yeah, and it kind of had. It reminds me a little bit of the same, like jump scares, but the nuances of like, um, like signs or a movie like that that was very oh, sure. like popular. That people can they can like relate to it. They're like, oh well, yeah. well right? Because the characters in the family, I mean, they're it's one of those things where they're not just obnoxious and they're even scam artists in this movie to an yeah. extent, but they frame it in a way where you're sort of like, okay, I guess I can kind and of. And you kind of for, the weird thing is you kind of forget that. Yeah, like you're, they they totally pose them as these like oh we're scamming to make a living and then you're kind of like well I can forgive them for that you know right because you they kind of explain why they're doing it and how right away this isn't I guess I don't want to say too much but yeah. you just kind of see that sure they're scamming people but maybe it's kind of for the right reasons yeah and that's sort of how they start the movie where it was right away where I was like well okay not sure what they're doing with it with the with this thing here but uh, yeah I mean just. Uh, I, I can't I can't believe it's as well made as, as it is. I mean, um, again, when I first saw this trailer, I just my eyes just rolled, and just almost from the beginning of this, I was just like, man, these guys really 
they really wanted to make a solid yeah. movie here. <laughs> they took it really, really seriously. But, you know, I think people who wouldn't like this movie are people who don't like horror movies. Because yeah. in a lot of ways, this is very by the numbers for a sort of possession haunted house type movie. It's not rewriting the book or anything. So if you hate that kind of thing, you're probably going to hate this. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it, it, it is very well made, though. Yeah, Mike Flanagan, dude, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's one I've got my eye on now. He's doing the, I read this the other day, he's doing the uh, Netflix that we talked about, a Gerald's Game. Yep. The uh, Stephen King novel, he's directing that adaptation. So now I'm even more jacked up for that. Booyah. This dude hasn't made a bad movie yet that I've seen. I haven't seen, what the hell's it called, Before I Wake. I haven't seen that one yet. I saw the trailer once, but science. And all that jazz. So on to our high-priority news items. Um, as of today, and this is pretty crazy, uh, no producer or host has been announced for the 2017 Oscars. Uh, so the show is less than four months away, and no announcements have been made yet. Uh, the last time it was announced this closely was 2009. Mm-hmm. And not just the host. A lot of people are very focused on the host, but the producer as well, which for a live TV event is really important. Especially for something this big, which a lot of people equate the... The Oscars are basically the second most, one of the most watched things after the Super Bowl every year. Yeah. Like so. 30, I think between 35 and 42 million people yeah. in America, which is a lot. And I wonder why this, do you have any theories as to why they haven't picked anybody yet? I, you know, I read, I read the Variety article and I, it, my gut would go to saying like, well, they've approached people and they haven't been receptive, but it's not exactly like an undesirable role to host, to produce. I have no idea what the producer world is like. Hmm. I mean, I don't know if maybe people are saying, oh, it's a bear of an assignment. I'd never want that. Or, they, they did say the announcement was going to be coming soon, so they yeah. have to be in talks with some people. Yeah. Well, and I mean, if there's like loose rumors and stuff, but those are about as, you know, those are worthless basically. But I, I, I don't know. I'm I'm very confused by this because I know Chris Rock was brought on very early and mm-hmm. he said it took like anywhere from right around six months of writing to get like to where he was. And I feel like time. he changed most of his act by the time we got to the show yeah. anyway because I think we both had sort of mixed feelings about the broadcast last year. And, you know, I think a lot of the reason maybe they haven't found anybody yet is because last year was so politically charged that, I don't know, maybe some of the safer choices like Ellen DeGeneres or Billy Crystal people who've done it a couple of times, um, they're maybe not wanting to approach it because of how much controversy there has been about it. Yeah. I know there was a, there was a fan poll and they asked them of the last like 10, who would you want to come back to do it? And like the unanimous decision was Hugh Jackman, who I agree if there was any, I thought he was the best of the last like 10 years or so. But um, yeah, I just think that um, there, I I think it's going to be a totally different show this year guys you know they changed their voting rules as we talked about last year or earlier in this year about um i just think they're changing a lot of things so which is good because i i do think they need to make things a little bit harder to predict well i think that might tie into it too because of like the changes in voting and and everything i i don't know though but for four months i would assume they've got someone in pocket as they say at this point i just wonder who it's going to be i wonder if it's going to be somebody new that we haven't seen before I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, there's all these, like, Hollywood rumor places that say, like, oh, this guy's person going to do it. Or this person. It's like, that's useless. They should get, like, Shia LaBeouf to do it. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> no, uh, or who's the guy who does the uh, um, Golden Globes all the time? Uh, Ricky Gervais. 
Ricky G, yeah, that'd be a good one. But he would. He's too raunchy for he's the. He's too house, like for the way too raunchy. Yeah, I mean he. He would just show up with a pint of beer and be like, I hate all of you. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, because he doesn't care. No, he really doesn't. Inspiring. Apparently, I forget what he did to Mel Gibson, like, backstage, but, like, they had, like, a little banter on stage, apparently, and then they went backstage, and Mel Gibson was like, oh, just joking. He's like, I wasn't joking. Like, <laughs> he's just like... They should get Kanye West to do it. Oh, dude, yeah. Ugh. Well... Ugh. I don't think the eyes of humans are ready to see a god do a <laughs> do a hosting. You're right. Like, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? No, we'll see. They have. They're going to announce someone. I think they said in a week for the producer. They didn't yeah. say host. Producer. They have. Maybe someone they'll in do line. something really different for a host. I know the one year they had uh, Alec Baldwin and uh, Steve Carell. No. Wow. Why can't I think of his name? That's the only famous Steve I know. What? Um, Aside from Steve Young. No, no, no. It was uh, Alec Baldwin and um, what was his name? Steve Martin. When they did it, they were they were they did they co-host together, and they were pretty good. Steve Martin was is, just I, Alec Baldwin would be good. Well, you don't like Steve Martin? He's like the I'm class. Like a huge monster fan. He's way more talented than anybody else who's probably ever hosted it. He's like a blues musician who's won Emmys, and he's... A, they should just have, like... Let's he's just, a playwright, and... They're gonna... I guarantee you they're gonna just be like, fuck it, we're just having Siri do it. That's gonna be, be, like, a robotic voice. Like, it'll be, like, Siri, and who's the Google one? Eliza? I think that's Amazon. Same damn thing. Eli- <laughs> el- or, yeah, Alexa. Alexa, sure. Alexa. I have no idea. Anyways. So, host, to be what? determined. Producer, to be determined. I don't know. Four months is tight. Yeah. It's not a lot of time. But the other one is uh, Moonlight, a potential Oscar frontrunner, maybe this year's major indie breakthrough hit, which is a big tag. Mm -hmm. Let's not, you know, mess around with the indie tag. Let's look at movies like Juno and Little Miss Sunshine. They go very, very, very far. Yeah. This one looks a little bit darker, a little bit more serious, but a lot of people are saying Moonlight's the best picture frontrunner. Yeah. And uh, it had a limited release this last weekend, and it like broke every limited release record. I think I read it averaged like a hundred and five thousand dollars per theater. Yeah, which is insane. They were just showing it nonstop all weekend at the, the, every theater it was in. Yeah, looks pretty interesting too. If anybody hasn't seen the trailer for Moonlight, just look it up. It looks very, very intense, very artistic, very dark. Yep. But then again, those type of films go really far. Mm-hmm. Come you know Academy Awards season. Well, it's kind of nice because I think last year we can agree that the big indie breakthrough hit was uh, Room, probably. Probably, yeah. And this is sort of more in that vein versus something like Juno, which is a movie I d- despise. I think it's terrible, but um, you know, people really liked that movie, and um, I don't know. I, I guess I, I I like my movies less quirky and a little bit more uh, hard boiled, a little bit more down to earth. And this Moonlight looks like it tackles some pretty. Pretty serious. Um, Some tough stuff. It's like a people living in a Miami housing project dealing with uh, their rough neighborhood. It looks pretty intense. Yeah. So I mean, I need to see it. I'll, I'll watch it. Somehow, yeah, you will. I'll make you watch it. Make you watch it <laughs> with your hands tied behind your back. Hey man, fifty. What is it? Fifty Shades Darker is coming out. Ugh, get away it's from like me. It's like a new. It's like a new, new age, man. Get away from me. 
But that's the uh, high-priority high news items. So on to our By the Numbers, the weekly segment where we cover our top five grossing films in America and the occasional flop that... <laughs> Occasional flops that do occur in modern cinema. You're gonna get that tattooed on your I, face. I just fucked up my own line. All right, so no, I'll start it out. Number five is uh, Girl in the Train, the 2016 version from Universal. It grossed 7.16 million dollars, bringing its total gross to 58 million on a 45 million dollar budget. So it made its path. Gangbusters. Whoop, whoop. Number four was the number one movie last week, uh, The Accountant. The Ben Affleck vehicle that made thirteen point six million dollars on a uh, forty wait forty four million dollar budget in total. It's made forty seven, almost forty eight million. So that's doing decent as well. Excuse yeah. me. And number three was our movie of the week, Ouija: Origin of Evil, again from Universal Pictures, made fourteen million dollars just over that um, in its very first week on a measly nine million dollar budget. But they made it work. That is a hashtag Blumhouse production, everybody. Woo. Woo. Please sponsor us. <laughs> we love your films and your business Everything. model. This is like the third Blumhouse movie we've reviewed. We're just like plugging these these kids hardcore, but we're going to get them. Yeah, but I think, uh, go see it. I think it's like the perfect Halloween movie. Yeah, oh, totally, because it's like kind of demonish. Yeah, and it's not like so bloody that you can't take like a younger. It's pretty innocent. Yeah. Anyways, when everything's come together. Number two, number two, new release, Tom Cruise vehicle called Jack Reacher, <laughs> Never Go Back, on its debut weekend made twenty two point eight million dollars on a sixty million dollar budget. Not quite what they were hoping for, but nope, it'll, it'll make its money back. Yeah, sure. Tom Cruise. And number one this week was number one, number one, number one. This week is a brand new release called Boo. A Medea Halloween. It grossed a total of $28.5 million in its very first week. Uh, that, of course, is its total gross, and its budget was $20 million. So Tyler, Tyler Perry. Perry. Killing it. Genius. So on to There Can Only Be One. Hold on. We should edit this part out. We should like lead into it a little bit more because you have to play the clip. Okay. You know what I mean? So I'll, I'll read the... I should be able to splice the first one. Okay. Just, re- yeah. So I'll just re- reread the first one. Right? No, just and then be just like, say, and now we'll do our next segment. There can be now, only one okay. or something like that. And then we'll play the sound clip and then we can talk again. And now our next segment, there can only be one. There can be only one. God, <laughs> Nate. <laughs> All right. And now our next segment, there can be only one. Okay, now we talk. <laughs> God damn it, Nate. Say habla inglés. So, this is our newer-ish segment where both Nate and myself pick, guess, a movie, the the movie, the, the upcoming weekend from when we record that's going to be the number one in the box office, and we guess how much we think it's going to make. And I think last week we both agreed this was a particularly difficult week to call. It was. So, last week you had guessed that Jack Reacher, Never Go Back, would be number one with $22 million. Well... You were partially right, because Jack Reacher did, in fact, make $22 million, but it was not number one. Yeah. Uh, but Ethan, that's me, I guessed that Boo, a Medea Halloween, would make $25 million, and I was mostly right, because it was number one, but it grossed $28 million. So million. I won this week. Boom. Boom. So I won this week. I'm very happy about it. 
gotta gotta sit here and bask in my glory for a second. Let the the breeze flow over you for a moment. Beautiful, beautiful feeling. So actually, as of now, we are both tied two and two. We both have correctly guessed how much how we were right twice, both of and this is exciting. Yeah, this is great. We're getting more like close. I think. Well, the the. The last couple, because we were way off. It's going to be tough for certain weeks. Yeah. Well, next week's well, next week's not too hard, but the week after that's going to be very hard. The week after that's going to be difficult. Mm-hmm. So okay, so that means since I won this week, I get to guess first. Which actually, the more I think about it, isn't necessarily an advantage, because <laughs> um, uh, we both have sworn a blood oath to not cheat in advance and try to look up anything, which is only so accurate anyway. So. Next week, I looked up, it looks like the main new release we're looking at is Inferno, the new movie directed by Ron Howard, starring Tom Hanks and Felicity Jones, the third movie in the whatever franchise. It's the sequel Dan to... Dan Brown? Yeah. yeah. He wrote the books. It's the third movie in this, this series with The Da Vinci Code and um, Angels and Demons. Um, so I'm going to guess that that movie, Inferno, does come in first place. <sighs> Let's see. I'm going to guess that on its opening weekend, when Inferno comes in first, that it's going to make. I'm going to say, tw- twenty-eight million. Twenty-eight million. Okay. So uh, yeah, Inferno twenty-eight million next weekend. I guess the only advantage in this is by going first is if you were going to guess the same thing and I just stole it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That could be. Yeah, it's an interesting. Uh, it is. It's an a little bit of strategy concept. here. There is, yeah. And winning, it doesn't necessarily give you the upper hand. Because I'm gonna also say Inferno. Okay. And I've had really good luck with the point five, so I'm gonna say thirty-two point five million. Thirty-two point five. And it's opening William and opening weekend because Tom Hanks. I, this is my theory. Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. He sells. Yeah. Dan Brown's books were monstrously popular. The fir- I mean, da Vinci Code. It was a big deal at one point. Yeah. It was a big deal. I think I think it's going to do, and especially with the other films that are coming out. I mean, American well, Pastor, I think, is just a little too no, extreme for no, people no. to wrap their heads around. Well, and yeah, and I think anything that came out this week isn't going to top yeah. Inferno. Mm-mm. I think that's main competitors are movies that are already out. Yeah. But um, I guess the reason I'm going a little bit lower is just because I don't feel like, first of all, I don't feel like the third book in the series was anywhere near as popular. And I think that The Da Vinci Code was like a huge, like I remember everybody Monster was reading hit. that book and the movie was a huge hit. Neither, none of these movies have gotten great reviews. I personally have enjoyed the first two, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm semi-excited to see this one. Um, which is going to be our movie of the week next week, I believe, yeah. right? Inferno. So, but I guess my thought was just, I don't feel like the it's there anymore. I still think I don't know. I just don't feel like Tom Hanks alone is... I don't know. I just feel like people would rather see Sully again. (laughs) I don't know. So rather than seeing Inferno, can you just play Sully? (laughs) I really want to see that film. Yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say Inferno will be number one. Yeah. And then the next next week, though. It could be. We haven't seen like a sleeper hit in a while. Yeah. So it could be like maybe there's tons of old people who just got to see what happens to... I don't remember the name of the main character. (laughs) And and honestly, that's the wild card that I'm kind of gambling on is that older demographic Mm because Dan Brown and the older as an author. I know I talk a lot about authors on this film because remember I was like all about Girl on the Train. Oh, that's right. Um, I think, yeah, he'll he'll track that demographic in. Okay. 
you'll see this do very well in retirement communities in Florida <laughs> and Tennessee, where my in-laws are retired. I like things I can remember. <laughs> Versus a, things I can't. That's a family guy joke. Yeah. Can't take ownership of that. All right. So when we come back, it's going to be our album of the week. Uh, gri- gri- oh, man. I keep wanting to say Gryphon. I know. It's gri- gri- Griffin. In my head, I kept saying Gryphon because it's... It's pronounced Griffin, like the creature Griffin, but it's spelt like an older, like an old English spelling of the word. Yeah. So it's Griffin, G-R-Y-P-H-O-N. Uh, yeah. Weird. Old school. Weird. That's how they did it back in the day. And the album is the Red Queen, or not the, but just Red Queen 2 Griffin 3. So you'll hear music from that album in the break. Weekly Neurosis, we will be right back for our final segment, Album of the Week. Welcome back into Weekly Neurosis. I'm Nate. I'm Ethan. And now it's time for Album of the Week. Yeah, okay. So this week we are talking about the band Griffin. What album, you might ask? I'll tell you. I'll tell you. The name of the album is Red Queen to Griffin 3. So a little bit of background about this here record and this here band. Uh, Griffin is an English progressive rock band that formed in the 1970s. They are best known for their interesting mix of quote-unquote typical prog rock concepts, which is to say complex song structures, multiple tempo shifts and movements per track, etc. Also, those sounds mixed with medieval and Renaissance-era instrumentation. They broke up in the 70s, but recently reunited for a series of tours and apparently now even some new music, which is kind of interesting. So this album in particular, Red Queen Queen to Griffin 3, is a concept album based loosely on the game of chess, so it fits into our theme nicely here. Uh, The music on the album, which frequently evokes a medieval mood, blends and alternates Baroque, Pop, Renaissance, English folk, and progressive rock music styles. Themes are presented, developed, and recapitulated, great word, in the fashion of classical music. It was released in 1974. So, Nate, what did you think about this weird album? <laughs> well, it's probably my first um, first observation is that it was quite weird. But, and it's I should just say that if you look this album up on iTunes, it's not one album. Like, when you look up the Griffin, it, like, it's the first four tracks of... On a track list. So, well, that's just because when they released the, when the it band, was like a double album. No, because when they released these albums originally, the, this album we should say too is it's only four tracks. There's opening move, second spasm, lament, and checkmate. Again, based on chess. This album, those four songs was one album. Their next album was called Radiance. 
if you look on iTunes, if you if you look up this band, which again is spelled G R Y F H P H O N, um, this album isn't listed individually. It's listed with as Red Queen to Griffin Three slash Radiance because for some reason when they chose to release these albums on CD instead of just releasing them individually, they put two albums on one release. Interesting. So they are different albums, but for some weird reason, they lumped them together. Yeah, but on digital music. But this album, but, make no mistake, is only four songs. Yeah, so it's four songs. Anyways, sorry. No, very weird. I think the, I should just say that the the number of like concepts or types of music that you read kind of bleeds into this. So it was, to me, it was, it was very strange. I, I think I need to listen to it like four or five more times to really kind of wrap my head around it because it's you know i like pro i got excited when i heard it was prog rock but then it's like i don't know i don't know what to make of it to be totally honest with you right i think um i i mean i've i i went through a, a period of time where i listened to like a ton of prog rock and this was an album i didn't I, you know i picked this album and it wasn't because i like love it or anything i had actually never heard this album before um, but I'm a prog rock fan, and I had ter- I heard people talk about this particular album. But I've listened to a lot of prog rock from the '70s that is very similar to this. Um, bands like uh, what's their name, Permiata, Marconi, or whatever. Uh, Can well, yeah, they're a Kinda little bit more uh, prog rock. Um, bands like Jethro Tull come to mind, but a lot of. Um, you know, nineteen seventies prog rock kind of has this again, this baroque kind of Renaissance sound, which is to say, when you're listening to it, it has a very distinct, like medieval sound. Like you're in like a court of jesters on like a sunny day, and there's people in old timey costumes eating turkey legs, and there's people in jester costumes hopping doing around. all those medieval. I mean, things. it's all it's all it's very goofy and kind yeah. of uh, uh, quirky like that. And I guess I'd heard music like this, so it wasn't that shocking to me, but um. Hearing this album was was pretty interesting because, uh, first of all, the concept, which they claim is about chess, I guess I don't really see it outside of... I didn't see it at all. The only thing I think you could argue is that with the song titles, I guess, again, the first song is... There's only four songs that range between eight and ten minutes on here. Um, No vocals, completely instrumental record as well. Um, I would say you could maybe argue that some of the moods the songs take you through because again it being progressive rock music it goes through so each of these songs has different movements it sounds like many songs put together it's very jarring it's very intense these guys are clearly incredible musicians very creative oh yeah Yeah. uh, musicians as well but um whether or not this hits home for you and certainly for many people especially if you've never heard this music uh this is going to sound just so weird and corny to you you're just not going to know what to do with yourself but um I think if you're if you're into this kind of music, this is kind of a fun album. I think it's a lot of fun. It's it's fun to listen to. I can't really say I took a lot away from it, but um, it just kind of it's 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 like good mood. Like this is the kind of stuff I could listen to, and it just it's uplifting because it's so like bouncy. It makes me want to watch like a Knight's Tale, or it makes me want to go to a Renaissance festival and watch people joust or something. Right. Well, I think if there is one takeaway for me, it is that this band is is monstrously talented because to play this type of music takes a, a high level of skill. You know, there's a lot of bands out there right now. I don't know what the percentage is. I wouldn't put a tag on that, but I would say a majority of them probably couldn't pull this off because they're they're no. just not to that skill level, which you saw back in the 70s when right. you know you needed to be skilled to be become popular. 
right. for the, the most part. The 70s were an era where this this kind of music really only could have come out of the 70s. And I think when I read that the album is very reminiscent of classical music, that's undeniable because there's a lot of classical influence. It's again with those kind of medieval, baroque, chamber pop sounds, but they mix it with, you know, the rock guitar and constantly changing tempos and solos, but they overlay like flutes and... And, and you know different instruments and layers keyboards layers. over it and it's yeah. just, it's really interesting and you're right for them to to move between the songs and really had the idea in the first place to put some of these wacky sounds together it's pretty uh, interesting and they certainly have i would guess a very deep understanding of musical theory and whether or not that's interesting to a lot of people is one thing but um i think uh if people are into progressive rock this might be a it's certainly not an essential, right? When I think every genre has like its top 10 albums to start with, this would be not anywhere near the top because it's pretty weird. It's pretty buried. Griffin, I don't think, is one of those bands that was has really released anything truly mind-blowing like bands like Yes or Rush, Camel, uh, some of the uh, more well-known prog rock bands. But for people who are sort of going down the rabbit hole, this is kind of a weird album to stumble on because... It's a concept album about chess. I mean, that in and yeah. of itself is kind of weird. <laughs> that is. And it, again, it, it is, it's so unique that it's one of those things that might tickle your fancy. Yeah. You know, it might affect you the right way. Um, just crazy. I think, and too, I should say my favorite song on here, because again, four songs, my favorite one was Lament, which is the third song. And the way my brain retconned this song to fit the concept of chess was I pictured in my head that one of the two players playing chess lost their queen which if you know how to play chess if you lose your queen your chances of winning dramatically drops <laughs> isn't it down um, to like five percent yeah it's like it's that? really it's hard really to well. win at chess and i think it's even statistically possible depending on how many pieces you have left and what pieces you have left but um with that song it definitely has it to me the song lament felt like the most complete song because especially the first two songs in this record I guess the song, I mean, the second song is called Second Spasm, and that kind of, it's all over the place. It's ridiculous, yeah. but this, the song Lament to me had a slower, kind of more somber beginning, and it ramped up, and it had some really interesting keyboards throughout it, and so that was my favorite song of the bunch, but um, even at 38 minutes and 32 seconds, um, I don't know, I, even if I was sitting and intently listening to this, there was really nothing that grabbed me yeah. dramatically, you know? And it didn't, yeah, it didn't jump off the page for me, even with how, like, strange and odd it did sound to me. But, yeah, I don't know. It's like Hobbit music. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> if I had to pick one thing, what would you, if you had to rate this, though? Well, I'm going to give it a 6.5 out of 10. Because, um, again, most of that is these guys are unbelievable musicians. They could play the pants off of anybody. They're they're very compositional. It's creative. It's interesting music, just for me, in terms of songs. There's just not a lot here. There's not a lot for me to want to come back to. Um, it's maybe something I would keep in the collection for if I'm playing some video games, if I ever do that, or if I'm reading, it would be a decent background record because, again, there's no vocals. But um, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of a weird, yeah. little, weird little facet of music from the 70s. What would you rate it? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give it an even five just because I don't, I don't want to say that it's good and I want to say it's bad. I'm just going to kind of give it that middle point. Sure. But, yeah, I, I agree with you that the musicians are monstrously talented and, yeah, Hobbit music. Yeah. Basically. It's pretty wacky. The, yeah, it was just, and the 70s is such a weird time for music because people were trying, like, all these crazy things and, 
Right. They're really trying to push the envelope, and that's the end product was kind of and what we got in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, and this kind of music can't exist in any... I mean, it exists nowadays, but first of all, this sensibility, this medieval prog rock sensibility just doesn't exist anymore, I don't think. And if it does, it's a very niche thing. But, um, I mean, at the time, a band could get away with it because people were doing whatever they wanted, even on a decent label. Um, but I guess with, with prog rock, I'm more... I'm into like Rush and Yes are my favorite prog rock bands. And there can be a little bit, uh, at least Rush is a little bit more straightforward of a prog rock band. And a band like Yes is a little bit more grand. Certainly better, I think, songwriters than Griffin is based on what I've heard from Griffin, which is to say one of their like five or six albums they released. But I guess I'm more towards the stuff that really is super ambitious and epic and grand and intense. And this just is kind of this weird little like gesture court of an album <laughs> yeah it just kind of exists yeah yeah interesting stuff though yep, yep. in an interesting era of music as very well. i think prog rock is one of those genres it's sort of like um sci-fi where people who are into prog rock are like really into it like i said i went through a stage where like there's a there's a website called progarchives.com which is dedicated to like hundred like prog rock period and there's so you could just and go down a it. rabbit hole of people's reviews and these people who write r- write thousands of reviews and they're like pro reviewers and it's broken down into all prog rock is broken down into all of these different sh- subgenres and stuff and like like we said this one medieval folk rock would be like one of the like ten thousand subgenres of prog rock. It's just like a whole underground of music. Yeah, and then almost like every genre has that though. It's so weird. Yeah, but to me, prog prog rock and metal are like the two genres of music that go the deepest. Like you can draw, like I challenge you, go to prog, just Google prog archives and look at that website. You will be stunned. You will be floored with the amount of music that's out there. How deep it goes. It's un, It's unreal. Yeah. Crazy. Mm-hmm. That's music though. Tons of worlds out there. Explore them. So on to our high priority news items. Kanye West... We have to talk about him again. Uh, he claims that he will protest the Grammys if Frank Ocean's album Blonde isn't nominated. Um, he announced this a few days after Frank Ocean himself. So Frank Ocean said he didn't want to be nominated uh, and purposely did not submit his album Blonde for consideration. Interesting. <laughs> I don't know if this is like a like a head scratcher moment or what? Because Franco, I remember reading that Frank Ocean said, I don't want to be nominated. I didn't submit my stuff to be nominated. It's past deadline. It's not going to get nominated. And then a couple of days later, Kanye West is like, if it doesn't get nominated, I'm not going. And okay. I, I don't know if he's, and I guess my first thought was like, oh, I got, oh, I hope the Grammys can make it without Kanye West being there. <laughs> I don't know. I don't get this at all. I'm not sure who he's trying to bring attention to. Because Frank Ocean is past deadline. And, like he, he cannot... and he specifically said he didn't submit his music on purpose because I don't want to be nominated. That's what he said. This is weird. Then like, it's another one of those, like... I guess he went he off, too, about how he how Lady Gaga, the one year they gave an exception to and allowed her to get nominated after the deadline because she was so popular... And I guess Frank Ocean is pretty popular, but I guess I just don't... I don't see why he cares so much about this. I just don't understand it. Only Kanye knows. <laughs> Only Kanye knows. He's just pissed off because he's never won, and he probably never will. 
Do you think The Life of Pablo will get nominated for Best Album? There's a lot of people who think it will, but I don't think it has a chance. I mean, it has a shot. But I think even in terms of hip-hop, there's... I mean, Chance the Rapper has a better chance, I think. Even well, Drake has a better chance and, yeah. just because it was so much more popular. Yeah, I think... Not Drake, and who else is there? Yeah. I know Run the Jewels has yeah. another album coming up, but they're not going to get that kind of appeal. No, I, I don't know. Oh, Danny Brown, that would be interesting. That would be awesome. <laughs> For album of the I year. I would lose my mind if you no, get... No, no, no. I think album of the year is going to go to either Beyonce or Radiohead or maybe somebody like Bon Iver. Bon Iver. Bon Iver. Bon Iver. Bon Iver. Is that what it is? Bon Iver? Bon Iver. Bon Iver? Bon Iver. Bon Iver? Bon Iver. That's Bon Iver. Bon Iver. What is it? I'm lost. I don't know. So it's like Bon... I thought it was Bon Iver. Yeah. Bon Iver. Bon Iver. <laughs> I have no idea. Bon Iver. That group's from Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Shout out. Amazing state. Hipster, hipster band. Hipster band. Flannel. All right. So the other high priority news item, and who knows? Frank Ocean, hope you get nominated. Loved your album. Uh, Prince's. Prince's, it's good. Prince's Paisley Park uh, is now going to be officially a public museum. Now, I just want to say I'm very relieved to hear this because I did not want some, like, millionaire or billionaire to buy it and hold it for themselves. Like that one guy? Yeah. Martin Screlly or whatever? Yeah, who buys all these... He's a jerk All off. these pro- properties up. He's probably going to, like, hate us on Twitter now because we talked shit about him. Oh, this podcast <laughs> with, like, 30 listeners. <laughs> Fuck them. No, but because this area, like Prince, Prince's little like home, to me is it's so weird mm-hmm. that I, I'd like to go there someday. Well, it's a home studio. I mean, he yeah. lived there and he worked out of there. Yeah, I'd like to just see, go there and just see what it's about. Yeah, I think it's cool that I know there's a lot of speculation this would be happening, <clears throat> and um, I'm happy that it is. Uh, it seemed like a pretty quick turnover, but there's really not a lot of. There's really nothing quite like Paisley Park out there. I mean, in terms of how long it's been around and how much music was recorded there and how it was... I mean, he surrounded himself. His whole life was music down to his home. And uh, you'd have to think this was somewhat pre-planned because it really seems like these decisions were made quickly. In his will. And there's, But he didn't have a will. Yeah, well, that's a conversation for another day. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, so it's... I'm just glad, though, that yeah. some person didn't buy it, and they're like, oh, I live in Paisley Park. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Just strolling around in a robe. Some very specific person. Touching all of his guitars. Ugh. Ugh. Go away, weirdo. Go away. You can't make music. A weirdo. Unless your name's Kanye West. What if Kanye West bought Paisley Park? I would probably just kill myself. No, nah, I wouldn't At that point. <laughs> no more weekly neurosis. <laughs> that was it. That was our last episode. It's just me it. talking now. No, but and it, it's a relief. Yeah, I'll get there. I will, if as long as it doesn't like it's not a museum for like two years and they're like, oh, we're bankrupt. Sorry, <laughs> I don't think that's gonna be a problem. <laughs> yeah, lots of money. So on to obsessions, um, where we obsess about a few things. Ethan, what are you obsessed on? Oh, okay. Well, um, <laughs> the last couple of weeks and uh, really over the weekend, I sort of pushed this a little bit. I've been really working my way through the X Men movies. I think I'd mentioned before when X-Men Apocalypse came out that it was like the one major film franchise 
like geeky film franchise that's out that I'm totally lost on. So I've been watching all of them and I'm, I've watched five of the nine movies now. So I feel way cooler and I'm going to finish the rest of the series probably by next week, by the next time we record. Yeah. That's so, a big series. I'm enjoying them, but I, I do have to say that I think of all the major like franchises, it's probably, I don't know, a little bit lower tier. Ooh. A little, little scary. I mean, the first two movies are pretty solid. The third one, not so great. The fourth one, the X-Men Origins Wolverine was okay. And then there was um, the one I just watched was X-Men First Class, which was the prequel one. That one was solid. That was probably my favorite one of them. So I'm excited to see what happens next. I mean, I've seen Deadpool. That technically fits in, right? Yeah. So I have to watch um, The Wolverine, Days of Future Past. I'm going to rewatch Deadpool, which is great. And then uh, Apocalypse. Then I'll be caught up. Because they just released the trailer for the new one, Logan, which is their advertising is Hugh Jackman's last outing as the Wolverine, which is he's been playing that character for 16 years already. Forever. Yeah, it's crazy. Forever. So X-Men, that's my deal. What's your deal? What's your deal? It's basically three things. I think I've just forgot the third. But it's um Westworld. Oh, you're watching that? Amazing. That's whatever. Fucking says. incredible. Love it. It's a deep, deep, deep dive into a TV series. I read there's a rumor that they, they have like five seasons of that plotted out or something. Yeah. Because I, I thought would, it, oh, I they there's no way they can I thought it was originally just gonna be like a five episode deal but apparently they're dropping all this like backstory stuff with like ed harris's character i haven't watched it my brother's watching it too and he says it's great i think i need to get myself hbo go and watch that show you do and i want to watch the left there's a bunch of hbo stuff i want to watch the leftovers insane i want to watch that totally insane and i need to have hbo go for when game of thrones comes back on but that's not going to be for like a year yet so yeah Ugh. okay anyways you're I, i agree with you too long uh, the other one is is really dumb, Clash of Clans, and the third one is um, <laughs> what was that? Clash of Clans. Okay, I love that game. I, I go through periods where I play it a lot, and then I just push it away, and then I play it a lot, and I push it away. You're like a drug addict, pretty just much. Can't escape it. Can't do it. the The third one though is honestly Doctor Strange. Oh, I'm, really? I'm very much excited for that movie. Um, I just think the concept of it is really unique. It's getting. Bomb reviews, dude. Yeah, I'll give it a shot. Benedict Cumberbatch. No, that's is good. Like, it's getting like amazing reviews. Oh, I thought you said bomb reviews. Yeah, like, like bomb, you know. They're bombing. No, no, it's got like a 97 on Rotten Tomatoes, and people are saying it's like their most visually ridiculous movie. And It should. Just, it's it's such a, it's a visually ridiculous concept, but it's Benedict kind of, Cumberbatch, he's, love him as an actor. He's the shit. He's awesome. He's awesome in everything. And he's humble, and he's, he's just. He's British as hell. He's British. He's love, smog from The Hobbit. British. Sherlock. Yeah, Sherlock He Holmes. played, speaking of Julian Assange, off where we were speaking, he played him oh, once fair. in The Fifth Estate. He played Julian Assange. Yeah. Interesting movie. Interesting. He's a great actor, man. He is. And I think it's going to be awesome. Can't wait to get my wrap my eyeballs around it. Yep. I think we can talk then about... Our plans for the next couple weeks. Because we're wrapped up for three weeks, which I think is awesome. Yeah, we really got the next so couple I can, weeks. So I can, like, that. go to see a movie whenever I want to. I don't have to, we don't have to wait till like, Sunday when we're, like, <laughs> what, are what we the watch fuck are we going to review? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? No. But um, next we're, week. Okay. Do you just, just want to do it or do you yeah, want to say something? Yeah, go, no, go ahead. So next week, Inferno. Yes. 
Week after that, Doctor Strange. Yes. Week after that... Hacksaw Ridge. Hacksaw Ridge. Boom. Awesome. For movies. Yeah. Three and a, three, basically a month's worth of, worth of content. Right. And I wanted to say this. I, we're, I think we're almost to a year that we've been recording. Because we recorded... I remember we recorded in late October last year. Yeah. Then we recorded an episode right before I went on vacation. That was early November. And that was when it started. Huh. One año. Crazy. That's crazy, man. That's crazy. That's good. Most people don't make it to this point. You know what they say. What do they say? <laughs> I, was hope, I was hoping you knew, man. I don't know. No, that's it's cool. That's cool, man. That's a good good spot to get. We got a long way to go, though. I mean... We got movies to review, Oscars to cover. I'm pumped for that. That's like we my number a, one thing. We have a trek. We're just going to blaze this trail. <laughs> We're just going to do it. Sure, sure. Whatever that means. No, good stuff, man. Ugh. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just so happy we have the movie signed up because it's, it's. You have to, and you, you will fully admit, like if we don't know what we're doing by like Sunday. No, quite honestly, the movies stress me out less than the albums. Yeah, because the albums are tough to find. They can be, and sometimes I feel like I, if I don't get enough time, like with this album, I feel like if I would have had a couple of days, maybe I could have said a little bit more about it, but maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> maybe not with this particular album. <laughs> Yeah, it but was we'll, it was tough, but we'll, it was. We'll nail it down. We'll nail, we'll nail it, down. it down. We know the beer next week because it's. Sculpin. Oh, keep it secret. Oh, yeah, oh, we, we did try to keep the. Got to keep something secret. Yeah. Grapefruit. Wait. Okay. What? You don't know what sculpin? There's a whole bunch of them. <laughs> it's a fish in the ocean. Anyways. Anyways. Awkward. I'll edit it out. No, but um, next week Inferno. Following week Doctor Strange. Following week Hacksaw Ridge. Hopefully we'll be able to pick some newer albums too. Yeah. It's fun to review older ones, but I also like, there's a couple of newer albums that have come out that I've been listening to a lot. So maybe we can fix those in some way. And I found like a lot better luck with um, like albums that are two and three weeks old. So they can kind of get through that initial like review and prodding process. Right. And then you get the good ones. Yeah. There's like the fresh off the, just press this. Unless it's, like, an amazing album. Like, I think with... Nah, I guess with Radiohead, we had kind of had a couple of weeks with it. Yeah. I think that's our most listened to episode, too. It is. When yeah. we talked about a moon-shaped pool. What was the album? Because we did Night was the theme. We talked about a moon-shaped pool. What was the movie? I don't remember. I think it wasn't Lights Out, was it? No. Because we did Darkness. Light. Darkness. Was it Light? Light was when we did Lights Out. Night. Hmm. Hmm. I don't remember. I don't remember at all. <laughs> One year ago. It wasn't that long How ago. How am I supposed to remember a year ago? It wasn't that long ago. What You know, what What was the first movie? Didn't we record an episode that we never released? Never. I was like, that's when we were still on the original mics. What was the movie? Mike. What was the first Singular. movie? We, was it... um. Steve Jobs, we released that one, right? Yeah, that one we did. I just watched that again, too. It's great. It's a good movie. It's Michael Fassbender. Yeah, he's the best. Man, too many damn movies. Yeah. I have I have spreadsheets of all the new... I have one spreadsheet for all the new albums I've listened to, so I keep track of it. And a spreadsheet for all the new movies I've seen in the year. I looked at my spreadsheet for music. I've listened to like 110 albums this year like new Jesus. albums and for movies i'm at like 60 or 70 like and that's just new 
or at least I watch movies like every day. That's crazy. Yeah. So it's many nuts. movies. It's nuts. And there's only been three movies this year that I've given a 10 out of 10. What are they? The Witch, which is still my number one movie in the year. Knight of Cups. And Everybody Wants Some. Which I just I just saw Knight of Cups. And yes. I want to watch it one more time. Go I need for to, it. I need to watch it one more time. Incredible. And if you've seen Knight of Cups you've and you've, you're listening to us speak, you've had one of two reactions. Either just gushing love, saying it's one of your favorite movies, or just a violent... I hate you for even mentioning that movie feeling. God damn you, Terrence Malick. <laughs> yeah, those are my only three 10 out of 10s. I feel like there might be a couple that sneak in. Um, yeah. Top five this year is going to be interesting. I just watched, um, I've watched a couple new releases. I watched um, Swiss Army Man this last weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see that movie? No, you're telling me about it, though. Oh, my God. Is that a weird movie? <laughs> it was pretty interesting, though. I watched... Um, watched the sea of trees which was kind of interesting it was better than i thought it was gonna be that's a gus van zandt movie director with matthew mcconaughey in it love me some guns gus van zandt yeah this is a weird movie it was different <clears throat> for him but um i'm gonna watch warcraft again one of these days that's i feel like that's a movie that you need to give a second chance to but i liked it a lot the first i liked time. it too yeah. it was all right oh i got a sound bar too okay we're off top we're like way off topic now you have a sound bar? Yeah, we bought a sound bar with like a subwoofer so we don't just have wussy TV speakers anymore. Full HD sound. I got home, set it up, and I watched the pod race from The Phantom Menace that like cranked up all the way. You've got like a perfect setup too for um, like surround sound. Yeah, but we just have a sound In bar. In the corners. You do two corners and you'd be good. Sound bar. We're not going to get full surround sound until we buy a house. Do it. No. All right. Well, Weekly Neurosis, uh, this has been the game episode. I had a great time. This is a good one. This is a good one. Next week, Inferno. Definitely all you horror fans, check out Check Ouija. it. Give it a shot. I know I, I had talked to a couple people who I had mentioned on Facebook. I liked it. I thought it was great. And they were like, what? Are you kidding me? Because that first movie was so terrible. Like, if you haven't seen the first movie, just don't. It's so bad. This movie had no business being any yeah. good. <laughs> well, I feel like the new one, though, is kind of like a, a popcorn thriller type deal. where It's, it's like just a solid little movie. It's just a good little movie. The Over little engine that could. And Griffin, you know, if you're a yeah. hobbit or if you're in medieval times, you probably listened to it already. Yeah. You're a major fan. You've already liked them on Facebook. Good episode. Great episode. Weekly Neurosis has been the game episode. I am Nate. And I am Ethan. And everyone, please... Take care of yourselves and listen to us repeatedly, but take care of yourselves first. All right, bye.